here in the middle of Advent. I didn't grow up with the world of Advent. I grew up in like evangelical world, so we just had like Christmas, Easter, and a bunch of other things in between. Uh, Advent is like this liturgical period before Christmas where we're waiting, where we're anticipating for something to come. There's expectations that are built in. I love this time of year because we're all waiting on something different. Uh, some of us are waiting for like the new year because like, we have all of these things that we want to do that we're going to do. We're not going to do them yet, but we know that there's a day coming where we might actually do them. And then like January 3rd comes around, you're like, that was honestly way too ambitious for an entire year to think that I could do that whole thing there. I think it's been a year of waiting for so many of you in this room with writer strikes and director strikes and all the different strikes that are going on for that to finish out so that you could have some work or so that the landscape would change. You're waiting for something next. Some of us are waiting in this room for that relationship to happen, that if I could just get to that relationship, if that thing could be next in my life, then I think everything that I want will be fulfilled. And then some of you got into that relationship. You're like 17 months into that relationship. You're like, I was wrong. Um, <laughs> some of you are waiting, or maybe you're actually, it's beautiful and it's good. Some of you are waiting for that job. Some of you, we're just waiting. We're all waiting for something that's next. I think sometimes if I'm just honest with myself, I realize I'm not always content. I'm not always satisfied with where I'm at in the present moment. And I'm constantly looking to the future for this next thing to happen. And if that thing would just happen, then I think I'm going to be okay. I'm actually in a really good season right now. So like, that's pretty nice. But I was like, but that's not how I felt all year long. I've had many moments, if this would just happen. If you're parents in the room, you have all these different seasons. You're like, man, I just want a kid. And then you get a kid and you're like, I just long for sleep, for the love of God. Just like eight uninterrupted hours of it. Then you get through that stage. You're like, I'm just waiting for tantrums not to be a thing anymore. And then tantrums aren't a thing anymore. You're just like, where did they learn all of these words to talk back with? How is that even a reality? They are smarter than me now. I am outnumbered, by the way, as a parent. You're just waiting for the next thing. And I think instead of some sermon of like, no, let's just talk about being more present and all the magic and the miracles in this moment. If you can just live into this moment, if you do all of your things, you're going to be okay. Then everything will be all right. That's a good sermon. I've given lots of those sermons. I think it's also just okay to name that we're waiting for something to come next. And we're not the only people who have waited in that way. I think when we look systematically across the world, there are things that we want in our own culture in the world, I'm just waiting for that to be over. I'm just waiting for that to change. And so today we're gonna to talk about waiting for what's next and to do that, we're gonna talk about some things. We're gonna talk about the waiting game. And if we can talk about that, then we'll talk about faithfulness too. And if we can talk about faithfulness too, then I'm gonna talk about the teams. The teams aren't even here today, so joke's on them. Great, then if we can talk about the teams, then we can talk about being surprised by it. And if we can be surprised by it, then I can tell you about that story of Vancouver in 2014. All right, and if we can talk about Vancouver in 2014, then we're gonna talk about subatomic particles to molecular biology, because it is a Sunday morning, my friends. And if we can do that, then we can talk about trust in. And we're gonna do that in like 22 minutes, so here we go. Follow along with me in Luke chapter one. Goes like this, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. You all knew that. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children. 
Because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Wow, my voice cracked. That was... <laughs> will bear you a son. <laughs> and you are to give him the name John. And he will be a joy and delight in you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Some of you are not ready to sign up for that job. <laughs> I lost where I was at. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And many of the people of Israel will, will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the, till the day this has happened because you did not believe my words which will come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision, not been in ayahuasca while in the temple, for he had kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. That's in the Greek. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, by the way, verse 23 is like so light. When he, the time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. You get what happened. And for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. It's a big story, but it's a story that if you're a good Jewish audience or if you're the early Christian church, you hear it and it connects you with all of the other stories of waiting that's in the Bible. Waiting for something next. That the Bible is filled with stories of people not having everything they want, everything all in that moment, all at once, and you get all that you've ever desired forever. The story of what it means to be human is that you're waiting. We're just constantly waiting, and that's okay. Sometimes we have expectations in our world that we just should get everything we want right now. Can you imagine if you won the lottery 10 years ago? I would be dead. Like sometimes I don't need everything that I want. Sometimes I need to wait for some things. The beauty of these stories is that you automatically hear some other stories of waiting in there. That the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is the story of barrenness, which is the story of the people of God to the earliest stories in the scriptures. Stories of Abraham and Sarah, stories of Isaac and Rebekah, stories of Jacob and Rachel. They're stories of barrenness. It's a reminder of where you've been before. That sometimes when we're in waiting now, we need stories from of old to remind us we have waited before and things have worked out. Not always in the timing that we assumed, but things did work out and it not only benefited me, but it benefited others as well. There's stories of waiting, like the story of Hannah, who's the mother of Samuel, the prophet that comes to Israel before the kings. There's these constant stories in the Bible of waiting and what's next. And it's trying to prepare us for that. 
And the whole Bible is the story of a waiting game. And it's the story of maybe you think that you need this thing now, but maybe you're not quite ready for it. Maybe it's not the right thing for you. Have you ever got the thing that you so badly thought that you wanted, and then when you finally got it, you're like, ah, I don't actually know if I want that thing. And so it's just an honest story of what it means to be human, that we're constantly waiting for what's next. When I look at these stories of waiting for what's next, I think about these three ideas. The first idea that I see in these stories is this idea of faithfulness. If I'm preparing myself for what's next, then I want to live into faithfulness in some way. By the way, that's just not a word that we use around New Abbey a lot. One of the reasons we don't use this word like faithfulness around New Abbey a lot is because many of us are just like good progressives. So we don't always think about faithfulness to God. We are very busy thinking about how can I take care of myself and do my inner work and do, you know, my IFS and my therapy and all things. And I'm not mocking any of that. Those are really important things that many of us were told not to do or tools that we were not given as kids or in certain aspects of the church. We were just told, like, pray, be faithful to God. When you go to bed, lay your Bible on your face. And like things are going to work out for you. So we have all of these other wonderful tools that give us a better description of who we are. That give us a deeper understanding of what it means to be human in the world. And I want you to keep doing that work as a good progressive who has access to that tools. And I don't want us to lose this idea of faithfulness to God. Not just faithfulness to ourselves. The beauty of incarnation, the beauty of this story of Jesus is it gives us a fullness of a picture of God within and the reality of God holy far other than any of us are on our own. And we need both. And what I love about the story is that it says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were just obedient, good, faithful people. And it makes really clear to tell you that story because in their culture and in their customs, the fact that they were barren would have been a sign that they weren't faithful to God. And many of us grew up in those cultures where A plus B equals C. Many of us played the games of cause and effect with God, right? If I do this, then God will do this. Things aren't working out for me. I guess it's because I had a bad thought again. How many of you played games like that with God? Yeah, I think it was a pretty common thing. We're trying to free ourselves from that narrative. I think this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is trying to free you from that narrative. There wasn't a cause and effect for why they were barren. There's not a cause and effect for sometimes why things don't work as we plan or go as we want. It was a story that they were faithful people indeed. And it doesn't even talk about that they had some expectation that one day, magically, when they were old people, that they would have a baby. It's just setting us up that there were people who were faithful, and that's the way that they lived out their lives with God. And I think for us, sometimes things that I think about as we prepare ourselves for what's next, is I want to ask the question of what does faithfulness look like in our lives again? What does faithfulness look like to remind us of a bigger story of who God is? Not just our narrative. Do the Enneagram, do internal family systems, like go to a therapist, read a little bit of Richard Rohr, like just bathe in some Brene Brown, do all of it. And think about what will faithfulness to God look like in my life again, where I'm not the center of my universe all of the time. Because sometimes I think it's exhausting to be the centers of our universe all the time. And sometimes it's helpful just to think about what if there's more in this world, in this universe than just me? And what if I can be faithful to that? 
Maybe one of the ways that you can be faithful to that is the things that you grew up with. Prayer. Simply saying to God, I'm here, you're good. We talk about in the Psalms that there's three kinds of prayers, right? There's just gratitude for what is. There's like wonder prayer and there's like lament prayers. Maybe some of your prayer is just being honest with where you're at and that's just faithfulness that you want to participate in. Maybe faithfulness for you that you want to participate in is reclaiming part of the Christian traditions that you come from. Maybe that's scripture. Maybe that's different types of liturgy. Maybe it's participating in different seasons of the year, but just faithfulness to remind you of what's good. Maybe faithfulness for you is where you're not the center of your entire universe all the time, that you're participating in justice. You're participating in service. Maybe faithfulness for you in this time of year is that you're participating in generosity. Again, this is not like a, a scheme to get you to give to our giving campaign, although if you want to, please do. Um, it really is a scheme to say, hey, if you're not living generously, try it. Try giving $5 to another organization somewhere else. Just try living in that way where you say, I want to be faithful to something outside of myself. If you're constantly waiting for everything to be working perfectly in here before you go live faithfully outside of yourself, then you'll just never do it. There will never be enough Brene Brown. There will never be enough therapy. There will never be enough whatever. You go practice faithfulness while you're in progress because the story is not perfection you will never arrive to perfection live out your progress right now and live outside of yourself in a way that says i'm being faithful to god and to the narrative that god has for me regardless of the outcomes that might come my way i think when we can become faithful to god and what god has for us then we can also think about me completely forgetting what was talking about next. Oh, the teams. I knew that one. That was so easy. I just deleted my notes. That was in absolutely incredible right there. Talk about a good time. Scott and TJ teams aren't here, but I remember them telling me a story that I so appreciated in this season of my life. Sometimes I often look for parents whose kids are older because you have so much to teach me about life. And I'm always looking for this reality of like, do your adult kids still like you? For me, now I know you're winning. Now you know you did the thing. For so many of us in this room, there's just pain in family and in relationships. So when I find those people, I just constantly want to like literally sit at their table and like listen to their stories. And one of the things that I've appreciated about Scott and TJ is just this idea that every morning when they wake up, they pray together. And it's so simple and feels so foreign to like the world that I live in now, but just a way of saying like, oh, I want to be faithful to something beyond myself. I want to live in a posture in the world where I don't have control of everything. I want to live in a posture of the world where I am in need. Sometimes when I am in need of things that I cannot provide for myself, that that's okay. I can still do all of the healthy work over here and I can be open to something beyond myself. And I love that idea. And one of the things that they do is they just pray for their kids every morning. What a way to live into the world to say, who do I want to be? How do I check in with myself? What might God have for me here? So what is a tool that you can pick up that talks about your faithfulness to what's next? If we can talk about being too faithful, then we can also think about what it means to be surprised by. One of the things I love about this passage is that it's a complete surprise. They have no idea what's coming. And that's one of the things I want to free ourselves from. You can be faithful. You can do all the work that doesn't guarantee the outcomes. Just like live with that. Because if you want it to guarantee the outcomes, because many of us have been in part of those faith communities and Jesus environments where you're told if you just do this thing, this will happen to you. And it didn't. And it created a bunch of resentment in you. And it created a bunch of anger in you. And there's multiple ways to live into these stories. One of the ways that we can live into these stories is you can choose vindictiveness 
You can choose anger. You could be Zechariah and Elizabeth, by the way, and this could happen to you, and God could show up, and you could just be mad. Well, why didn't you do this sooner? Well, I have all these resentments, God, because it didn't go the way that I wanted to. They could constantly just live in victimhood. They could live in frustration. They could be mad. They could live in anger, and all for appropriate reasons. There are real reasons that we can be angry. There are real victims in this room. There are real reasons that we carry resentment. I'm just saying there's a perspective that we can have in our story. And the perspectives that we can have in our story is to carry all of that as the lenses that we want to walk through life with. Or one of the lenses that we can choose is faithfulness. Another lens that we can choose is to be surprised by things. You can be surprised by a blobfish. That could change your morning and your day. It could just change the way that your whole outlook. Also that, again, yeah. Merry Christmas once again. It could change some things for you. And what I love about the story is that they're just open to surprise. Also part of it, they're like, ah, this sounds a little bit crazy. The incense must be burning pretty strong in here. What am I seeing? It's like I'm an angel from God. No way. Yahweh. Cheesy joke. That was low-hanging fruit. Oh, boo, boo. The timing of that was. Sometimes you got to take your shot, people. And I did. That was so bad. That was just, I'm having to like reckon with that reality right now. But they're open to surprise that came their way. And are we open to surprise? I think it's such a good litmus test for us that we're not living in resentment. That we're not living with just anger. That we're not living with just frustration. That we're not living mad all of the time. Have you ever just like go on the internet and you're just looking for it? You're just like, I cannot wait to get into a comment section just so we can just like say some stuff to one another, right? you just like coming in with that energy. Instead of that energy of coming into it of like, no, 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 the world is just going to surprise me today. I might just hear a Mariah Carey song for the 10,000th time this Christmas, and I'm like, let's go. I might have a kid show me a blobfish. I might see a smile. I might realize it's Matthew's birthday. The world is filled with surprises. And as you're waiting for what's next, one of the greatest ways to be open to have eyes to see for what God may end up doing in your life is just be opening to the beautiful surprises that are already going on. I know you might be waiting for this thing, for that job, for that relationship, for these things to work out, to hit the Powerball in Jesus' name. Like, I get it. But in the meantime, in your waiting, would you be open to the surprises that are already taking place in your life? In 2014, my wife turned 30, and I thought I'm going to surprise her by taking her to Vancouver. This was at a time in our life when I had probably like negative assets to my name, but I'm like, here we go. It's my wife's 30th birthday. We had just had a kid. I had flown her sister in, and I told her she's got 30 minutes to pack when she came home from work that day, and she needs to get warm clothes, and we're going. I didn't tell her where, so we get to the airport, Air Canada, surprise her, great. We're going to Vancouver. We're at the counter, because it's 2014, and there was a counter that you went to, by the way, not just a kiosk. And I go to the counter, and I'm checking in, and the person says, what are you doing? I say, I'm surprising my wife for her 30th birthday. Man, the only thing that would like, make this more incredible, and I was just joking with the person. I was like, you just upgraded us to first class. And they paused. They said, one minute. They came back and said, sir, you got first class tickets. I'm like, let's go. Open to surprise. That felt nice. We get into Canada that, na- that night. It's a little bit late. I'm on like Expedia trying to figure this trip out. And I'm like getting like, you know, like the deal. They're like, there's two left. You ever have those, right? And you like do it. 
It was for the Four Seasons, by the way. Not because that's in my budget, because there are like two left, and it was like cheaper than the Marriott deal. And I'm like, I'm a baller, you know, like this is going to feel good. I get there, and they're like, so sorry, sir, but like we don't even have a room available for you. There was a flood in your room, which is like, of course, I had the two left room. Those pipes were barely hanging on, probably, <laughs> right? And so they're like, we, you can sleep on like a, they literally offered me like a couch somewhere. And I was like, I totally get all that, but I just want you to know I'm surprising my wife for her 30th birthday, and I understand that pipes broke, and this may be our only solution, but if you have like a presidential suite, I'll take that as well. They leave the room. They come back and they say, sir, we are upgrading you to the presidential suite. Let's go. I am on the, wait for this, 42nd and 43rd floor of the Four Seasons. I have two levels. I have a ballroom. I have multiple bedrooms. I just have so many bathrooms. Just like putting a toothbrush over here, like gel over here, just because right? And then they're like, we're just so grateful that you're here. We're so sorry about the water accident. I'm like, don't be sorry. We're going to send up champagne and chocolate-covered strawberries. And I'm like, let's go. It just was surprise after surprise after surprise. I'm getting ready to leave Canada. We're getting back on the plane, and they're, they're Canadians. They're like pouring me maple syrup, like smiling at me, making eye contact. And they're like, sir, what was your time in Canada like? You're an American. You're probably an awful human being. And I said, <laughs> Well, in fact, Canada was incredible. I could have asked for anything more. They gave me first class when it came here. I'm telling the lady about like four seasons and all that happened. I'm like, only thing that would make this better is if I got first class on the way back. And she's like, let's do it. I'm like, let's go. And then I got home and I got in my Jetta that I still owed $30,000 for and went back to my crappy apartment. And I'm waiting for what's next. I was waiting for our economics to change. I was waiting for some things to happen. I was waiting for opportunities. I was waiting for a church to grow. I was waiting for new business. I was waiting for all of that. And I didn't get all of that in 2014, but I got an incredible surprise in Vancouver. And I could come home and I could be like, oh man, I'm in my apartment and it's horrible because it was. And like, I'm in this car that like the thing's broken underneath because it was. I could do all of that. Or I could just say, hey man, thank you for the surprise. Thank you that sometimes life is just filled with surprises. And they come all kinds of different ways, shapes, or forms, but how can this shape my perspective in the world? If we can practice faithfulness to God, if we can live in the ways that God is surprising us, then I think that we can also move towards this final thing, that God wants to, us to trust in him, in her. I never say him. That was wild for me. That was good. that I think sometimes it's just an idea that I don't practice a lot anymore is trust in God. I remember being a kid, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge God and God will make your path straight. Sometimes I think back in this season of my life where I'm so good at practicing progressive values that sometimes I've just forgotten. I don't want to say lost, just forgotten so many things that rooted me in my life before. And if I'm being honest about my life, that I do want to be faithful, and I've seen all the incredible ways that God's been faithful to me. When I look around this room, I see just incredible ways that God's been faithful to so many of you. I know your stories. When I look around this room, man, I want God to surprise you with so much bigger stuff. Again, I want Powerball for each and every one of you. But I also look around this room, and I just see the ways that God surprised you. Like Chad Akins, you're here from Seattle, right? God surprised you by moving you to Seattle. That's incredible. God surprised so many of you in this room by just some of your best friends that you've ever met are in this place that you met them here. God has surprised you by healing marriages. God has surprised you with kids. God has surprised you all in different ways, and that's such a gift. And I would just be remiss if that, as we're waiting for whatever's next, we're not just reminded to trust God and what God has for us. Because what the story is so powerful and what it shows us is that God is constantly taking the old and making new. 
That's like the deepest truth of our faith. That is the truth of death and resurrection. God constantly takes what old and makes something new. It's not only the truth of our faith and of our Christian tradition and of scripture and spirituality. It's the truth of like the world and science. God takes what is and God transcends that and includes that to make something new and bigger. You go from subatomic particles to atomic particles. When you have atomic particles, you will transcend that and you will include the subatomic particles to get atomic particles. To get the singular cell organisms, you will transcend the atomic particles and then you will include that and now you have single cell organisms. To get the multi-celled organisms, you will transcend the single celled organisms and you will include them. All the way to you get matter and then once you get matter, then you get planets. Once you get planets, then you get biology. Once you get biology, then you eventually get an ecosystem. When you get an ecosystem, you transcend that. I'm going fast and I'm going to breathe in a minute. Then you include that. You eventually get to human beings. You get to intelligent life. You transcend that and you include and you get consciousness. That's the thing that we get. And it all came out of the old and something new being birthed. So when you are waiting in this season for what's next, trust that the whole thing already is baked into this reality. That's God's going to take what's old in your life which you thought was never going to work. It was a story about people being barren. They weren't expecting kids. They didn't think that magic was going to come. They didn't think that God was going to show up in this way. And yet something new did happen. And all I'm trying to say this morning is be open to that reality of maybe God wants to do something new out of that old. Maybe God will continue to be faithful because God has been faithful in your life. Maybe God will surprise you because there's surprises every day. Would you trust in God because God has been there for you? I know that you're waiting for something else. I'm waiting for something else. And in the meantime, will we be reminded of those great truths? Would you be faithful to God? Would you be surprised by the beauty and the goodness and the truth that's all around you? And would you trust that God's been there before and God will be there again? I don't have all the answers of how that's gonna look, but those are the reminders that we get in Advent. We have expectation and waiting. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.